church family. Let's welcome again this morning, Warren Samuels. Thank you. Love you, buddy. Very much. Thank you. Uh, just two, two quick things this morning before we get started. One, I ask that we continue, and I know many of you are, uh, Israel on our daily prayer list. Uh, this may be the bloodiest week of this conflict so far. And I know if I had a son going in to do what some of these soldiers are going to do, I'd be really concerned. So I know that to you, they're just faces you've never met, but man, they're going through a lot of horrific, on both sides of, of this aisle, are dealing with some horrific things. So let's remember to pray for them. And second of all, on uh, November the 16th through the 19th, uh, our church, our student ministry is hosting Disciple Now, and I've said this to you before, uh, first 15 years of my ministry was as a youth minister. And um, in fact, I was a youth minister the same time Steve Wilson was, and his hair was really dark. And uh, man, we have um, had a lot of water passed under the bridge since those days. But I've said this many times. If I only had one event to do in student ministry in a year that would impact students, it'd be Disciple Now. Now, I'm not saying, parents, if you have a child that's reluctant, you should guilt and shame them. Don't try to be their Holy Spirit. In fact, I would say the hammer and chisel of guilt and shame never built anything lasting, but you can pray them there. Uh, God's two by four is much bigger than yours, so if God wants them there, uh, he'll get them there. But I really would encourage you guys and gals to be a part. It's gonna be an amazing, amazing weekend. Life-changing, I believe, for you, and hopefully you'll invite someone to go with you. How many of you are aware of the expression, get real? Can I see your hand? Thank you, thank you very much. This is a little bit more uh, awake group than what we had in the first hour. I had to ask that twice. Uh, get real is an expression you may not know was coined in the United States in the 1960s. The only other country that's picked up that expression is Vietnam. So it is a Vietnamese expression, it is a North American expression that challenges someone to accept the truth or the reality of something. It means to be realistic. Uh, when I was, I think I was a sophomore in high school, and my dad and I sat down, we were talking about my future. Dad said, son, what do you want to do? And I said, dad, more than anything, I want to play division one football. That's what I want to do. And so my dad looked at me and I could tell he was carefully choosing his words. And my dad's a very godly, gracious man. And he said, son, get real. <laughs> he said, you weigh 145 pounds. That was a long time ago, I know and you run a 4.940. I mean, my team back then, we were small, but we were slow. And so you can see the kind of, so my dad said, no division one program is gonna give a kid like you a scholarship. And, but then he sat down and talked about all the things that he thought that I would be good at. Of course, neither one of us had any idea that a few years later, God would call me into full-time vocational ministry the word also can mean is something genuine. When we say get real, is that thing or that one genuine? Most of us in here embrace what or who is genuine and we don't really have a lot of respect for that which is not or ones who are not genuine. 
And so this morning, I want us to spend a little time asking the question, how do I know if my faith is genuine? How do I know, how does the world know that my faith, what I say I believe, really is taking place in my life? So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me this morning to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. And some of you may wonder, well, what does this have to do with loving your neighbor? Well, I hope by the end of the message, you will fully understand why we are taking a look at this particular passage. Let me say by way of background that the Apostle Paul takes 11 verses to talk about theology and doctrine, okay? It's very important. Romans is our, as Christians, systematic theology book. If you want to know about the systematic theologies of the faith, the doctrines of the faith, Romans is your best bet. In fact, if I only had one book of the Bible to understand our doctrine and our theology, it would be the book of Romans. That doesn't mean there's not theology and doctrine in in other books. But this one primarily is a book on doctrine and theology. And so he takes the first 11 chapters to talk about theology and doctrine. I know for some of you it's like boring, but really it's not. Because Paul understood, and, and I hope that we understand, that a healthy belief system, you hear me? A healthy belief system leads to a healthy behavior. The opposite is also true. That stinking thinking usually leads to stinking behavior. So, in the first eight verses of this chapter, chapter 12, Paul gives some generalities on how the Christian life is to be lived. But beginning in verse 9, he gets very specific, he gets real, he shows that this is where the rubber meets the road for the child of God, and whether or not what the child of God says they possess is truly genuine. It's very important. It's one thing to say we're this or that, it's another thing that we live it in our life. So this really, these two verses, deal with what it means to be real in the Christian life or what doctrine lived out correctly looks like, okay? So we're just gonna take this in little chunks and save some time this morning. So in verse nine, he begins with the first reality. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. There are three words, as you know, in the New Testament for love. There is eros, it's erotic sexual love. It is, there is phileo, brotherly love. Then there is agape, which is the word that Paul uses here for a selfless God love. In other words, God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The world does not understand agape love. They understand eros, they might understand phileo, but they have absolutely no ability whatsoever to grasp the concept of loving someone selflessly, putting someone ahead of ourselves. They don't. And most of you in here don't need to be convinced of that. You fully understand that that is the case. Now, the word that he uses here for hypocrisy means without a disguise. So if we're to translate this in the language of the New Testament, what he's saying is this. 
agape one another without a disguise. So he begins by telling us that true love begins when you and I begin to love each other selflessly with the Spirit of God loving others through us. You understand that it's not possible apart from that. And the only group of people, are you, get get this, the only group of people on the face of the earth that can potentially love this world selflessly are evangelical Christians because the world does not understand. In fact, John said it best. He said, the man or woman who does not know God does not know love. How many of you would agree that the love that you so often see in our society today has strings attached, right? Is that not, would you not agree with that? In other words, I love you if you will. Have you all noticed in life how thin the line is between love and hate? It's a very thin line. Girls, I want you to look over here just for a second. I realize it's a very unfortunate assignment, but I need you to stay with me just for a few seconds, okay? And I don't want you to forget this. If you have to take your eyebrow pencil and jot this down, do not forget this, okay? A young man will give you love so that you will give him sex. And unfortunately, there's a lot of young ladies who will give sex in their attempt to find love. The love that God offers you has absolutely no strings attached. It is a pure love, it is a selfless love, it's not a selfish love that seeks its own sinful, lustful desires. And girls, I'm gonna tell you something. I know right now you may not be in love with somebody, but I think you'd agree with me that most of you in this room would love to fall in love someday, right? And to be married and to have children. Some of you do, maybe some of you don't. But there's not one of you young ladies in this room that does not want to find somebody that that loves you. Please understand that the only young man on the face of the earth that can love you is a young man who loves God more than he loves you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If he says, hey baby, you're number one, you run. I'm just telling you, it's that simple. Because if, if you're number one, he will never be able to love you the way that you desire to be loved. It's very important for you to understand that. And girls, listen to me. Girls don't change boys. I can't tell you how many hundreds of girls I've met that said, well, I'll change them. You know what's very strange? And a lot of women in here can testify to this. Girls, listen. A, a, a young woman marries a young man believing that he'll change guess what? He doesn't. And a young man marries a young woman believing she won't change, and she does. I know they're looking at me like I came off of some spaceship, okay? Anybody in here believe one day they'll understand what I just said? Okay. You will. So it's very important that you find someone who first agapes God and as an overflow of his love for God is able to love you. I'm telling you, it's the only way it works. It's the only way it works. So he begins by talking with us about loving without hypocrisy. Love is the trademark of the early church. It was in the first century. It is to be today 
as well, and yet the world does not understand it. There are kids that I talk to in LA who are living in sin, and we've had many wonderful conversations. And I'm very loving to them, I'm not condemning to them, I don't hit anybody over the head with the Bible. And they have a hard time understanding that I can love them without accepting what they do. You know why that is? Because they don't understand what agape is. And so he said, you are to love without hypocrisy. But look what else he says here. He says, hate what is evil. Abhor what is evil. The word abhor means to despise, or it can mean to cast away. So being real means not only do I love the ones that God loves, but I hate the things that God hates. Can I ask you a question? I don't want you to raise your hand. I just want you to think about it. Do you hate the things that God hates? Is there a genuine hatred for the things that you know God hates? That's one of the signs you've truly been changed. And are you, by the Spirit of God, able to love those, even that, those that are unlovable? So he says, you hate the things that God hates. And then he moves on to say, and then to the last part, he said, cling to what is good. In other words, the word cling here, I, I, I can't think of a better uh, example, but it means to superglue. It means to superglue yourself to what is good. Hey guys, I understand in your culture, I have a granddaughter who is a junior in high school up in Bonham, Texas. And she talks to me all the time about what she's facing in her school. And I know it's what you're facing, but please hear me. So many of the kids in your school are so messed up. Do you know why? Because they are clinging to what is evil. Do you hear me? If you're going to be genuine in your walk with God, you're going to have to hate the things God hates, and you have to cling to those things that are good. You have to. You can't cling to what is evil and hope to make a difference in your school, in your community. It just doesn't work. And then he finally says that being real is not only seen in our devotion to one another, but in our preferential treatment to one another. Look at verse 10. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor. Listen, please hear me. You and I cannot be devoted to each other and prefer one another without the Spirit of God doing a supernatural work in our life. Do you understand that? We can't. God never intended for us to demonstrate that kind of love apart from him. But I do know this, that when I prefer you over me, do you know what I find? It's easier for me to be devoted to you, even if I don't really know you. When I begin to see you as more important than me, it's easy for me to put you ahead of me. That's not natural. There's nothing natural about that church. It is super natural. God created his bride to live in unity. Did you know that? When God reached out and touched the Gentile nation, 
God right off the bat knew my bride is going to be diverse. I'm looking around this room. There's some of you who are from different economic backgrounds. Some of you have different skin color. Some of you were birthed in different places. Some of you grew up in two parent homes. Some of you grew up in one parent home. I bet we didn't all vote for the same president in the last election. We're different. But this is so cool. You ready? It's so cool. Here's what God did. He said, as long as my bride will pledge allegiance to me, I will unify her. And in that unification, I will find glorification. Isn't that incredible? That in our unity, God is glorified. God is honored. And the world takes notice of that because the presence of unity in the church has everything to do with the presence of God in the church. Now, anytime a preacher preaches on a subject like this, people are going, well, is he talking about our church? No, I'm not, as far as I know. I'm not talking about our church, because I, I really do believe our church is unified. But listen to me, I'm a church member just like you, but wouldn't you love for it to stay that way? That doesn't mean we're all gonna agree. If you find a church where you agree with everything that goes on, you're in a church of one. You understand that? And if you find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it. I've said that many, many times. Unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we don't have differences, but it means we're serving the same God. We are pursuing the same world with a reckless abandonment as he did. That's what that phrase means. It affects our testimony. Sure, and I lived in a community not far from here. No need to talk about the community or the church, but my girls were in high school and there was a family in our town and he was very successful, very rich, mean, mean. I didn't even know how to describe. Mean as a junkyard dog, mean as all get out. But you know what? We spent a lot of time together watching our girls play volleyball and basketball and running track and so forth. So we got to be friends and I tried many times to share Jesus with him. No, 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 no. Just shut it off every time. So one day I went, okay, I'm gonna try something different. I'm just gonna invite him to church. I'm just gonna invite him to church. I said, hey, would you come to church with us, you and your family, and then we'll go, I'll take you out to lunch. He went, uh, do you go to such and such a church down the road? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, do you know your church is known for one thing and one thing only? I said, no, sir, I, obviously I don't. He said, all your church is known for is fighting. He said, y'all don't get along. I put up with that at work six days a week. Why in the world do you think I want to do that on the seventh? Folks, I didn't have an answer. Other than I said, well, the church is broken and we've got a long way to go. But do you understand the lack of unity in that church? affected our church's testimony to that man and his family. The world knows whether we get along. They know where they're out in the community. 
gossiping about, we don't, of course we don't gossip, we just share prayer requests, just sharing prayer requests about each other. They know. One of the evidences of the Spirit of God is a unified group of people. But one of the reasons why there is so much sometimes is because there are two mindsets that exist in every church. There's a secular thinker, there's a biblical thinker. You say, well, how do I know which one I am? You'll know when I, when I finish. You're going to know exactly which one you are. The first, the secular thinker, even though they claim to be a Christian, and maybe they are, I'm not judging, it's not my job to judge, but the secular thinker always begins every conversation with themselves. They start with themselves. Hmm, uh, is this a church that blesses me? Uh, is this a sermon that I like? Is this music that blesses me? They start with themselves when they look at the church. But the biblical mindset doesn't think about that at all. They don't think about themselves. They ask, is this church a blessing to God? Does the music bless God? Does the word bless God? I have a friend who was a minister of music. He's retired now. It was a man sitting in his office on a Monday morning. Let me tell you something. You don't have one staff member that feels good on a Monday. So if you've got something negative to say, wait till another day of the week. I'm just telling you. See, I can say things. I'm going home and you can't fire me. But I'm just telling you, Monday is a hard day for staff. It's just a hard day. You have no clue how, how difficult it is. So when my friend got to his office, the, the guy's arms were crossed. And he looked at my friend. He said, listen. I didn't like any of those songs yesterday that we sang in church. Did you give any thought to me whatsoever when you th thought about those songs and carried out those songs? And my friend was very gracious and he went, no. He said, why not? He said, because your name is not God. There are two things I know every week when I come to this church, two things. I know our pastor's gonna stand right up here and he is gonna proclaim God's word and I know Holly and Justin are going to lead us. They can't force us, but they can lead us to the throne of God. They are such a treasure to our church. And oh, by the way, if we don't sing songs that you like, guess what? You have six other days, 23 other hours in the other day to listen to what blesses you. You understand what I'm saying? This church is not about Warren Samuels, and it's not about you. We just got to make sure we're on the same track when it comes to honoring God. Because when I leave here, I never ask, was I blessed? I always leave thinking, was God blessed today? Was God honored today? But because those two mindsets exist, there sometimes is conflict. It's conflict. Well... You understand that our job is not to create unity in this church. Our job is to preserve unity in this church. You say, well, how do you know that? Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he said, preserve the unity. We can't create unity. Do you guys realize that? 
We don't create unity. Jesus creates unity. 10 times in 1 Corinthians chapter one, when, when there's a fight going on at the church at Corinth, 10 times in 12 verses, the name Jesus is mentioned to the church to remind them who is the one that brings about unity. And it's not men and it's not women, it's God and God alone. That's what we've got to pray for, that God keeps us unified and that in that, glor- in, in that God is glorified. Very, very important. Because if we're going to handle spiritual problems, we cannot do them in the flesh, folks. We can't. You cannot deal with spiritual problems in the church and do it in the flesh. And until we get to the point where we're willing to say, you know what, to preserve unity, I'm not going to demand my own way, then I think we're on the road to finding what unity is. For 25 years of my life, in fact, I even started a mission agency 20 years ago that mobilized high school and college kids to plant churches all over the world. I started traveling overseas. I never saw the U.S. the same. And so I did this for 12, 13 years until I was diagnosed with leukemia and I had to stop. It was, it was not easy. And I loved every bit of it except one thing. There's one aspect of third world missions that I absolutely hated. I hated. I despised. You, want, you know what it is? What? What'd she say? Quiet? Flying? Oh, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great answer. That's not, you know what? I don't like to fly either. So I'm gonna, I'm, that's in my top three. <laughs> Thank you so much. Somebody talks in big church. No, here's the thing. What I didn't like, cold showers. I hate cold showers. I detest them with every fiber of my being. But after a while, I went, well, if I'm going to keep working overseas, I'm going to walk and flip a coin. It's a 50-50 chance. I'm going to have hot water. And so I learned that. 50% in third world countries is good. That's a, I could live with that. But I don't live with 50% in my house in McKinney. Right? We don't. 100% of the time, when I turn on the hot water, I want hot water shooting out of that shower. So a few years ago, I get into the shower. I turn on the hot water. I feel like I'm getting a blast from Antarctica. It's hitting me, and it's not warming up at all. So my first thought is, if you know me, this is so typical me, my first thought is, this is going to cost me a lot of money. I'm going to have to buy a hot water heater and that, and I just did not want to do that. So I called my friend, a plumber. I said, can you look? I, I think my unit's out. He walked out in the garage, came back just about two minutes later. He said, I got good news for you. Ready? He said, it's your pilot light. That's all it is. It's your pilot light. And I thought to myself, how can a tiny little instrument have such an effect on a shower? It can turn a wonderful experience into a horrific experience. But ladies and gentlemen, please hear me. It is the same with the Holy Spirit, just like that flame. Because every day in my garage, that little flame is lit. I don't notice it. I don't pay any attention until what? The water is frigid. It takes that long 
for the pilot light to go out. Folks, please hear me. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. He operates in unity when his, when his body is unified. He's glorified when the Father is glorified. And if he leaves, it doesn't take long for the church to become frigid. 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 At all costs, by God's grace, by his power, not only for his glory do I pray that he continues to unify us, but also so that our testimony to this community and to the world is not damaged. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you so. You're such a great God. Please help us. Please help us to stay dependent upon you, to desire to be unified more than we desire our own way, to desire to be a blessing to you more than to be blessed ourselves. And I thank you for a pastor and a staff who understand that and every week so faithfully point us to you. And I pray they would continue to do so by your grace and by your power and by your strength. And we ask this for your glory in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.